Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels here uh, with this week's guest on the show. We're into June, still a lot of sports going on. Recurring guest, friend of the program. Well, friend, I use that term loosely, but he's been keeping himself busy. Uh, and he may be actually a shoot vampire with gang grill. Kent Brown on the show. Kent, thanks for coming on. It is indeed Judgment Day, and it is indeed uh, gang grill. You know, hey, he'll get a paycheck. I'll take any paycheck. The fact that I'm on this show shows that I'm willing to go for as cheap as it can possibly be on any show and take that paycheck. So I'm always happy to be here, even if you pay me in ways that we can't even get into currently on the air. Yeah, definitely can't get into those. Uh, first things, Kent, uh, it, it is kind of nice to, I mean, I know this is like a, a, a rare time of year, but it's also rare that we have, you know, hockey and basketball kind of going a little, I think, on the later side that had to do with, this is like the last catch up that we have from COVID derailing everything. I think by next season, we'll start to be normal, which I understand that the routine and everyone wants to get back to that, but it is kind of refreshing that we're going to be into mid-June, late June even, and still have some of these sports going on. I'm fine with it. I feel like it works out well, and uh, I have no issue if these leagues want to start a little bit later. You're right. COVID the last couple of years pushed everything back or changed how they went about and scheduled their regular seasons, championship schedules, but I have no problem with it. And uh, if it goes into mid-June or into the later stages of June every year, I would be fine with that, especially like when this summer – there's not the World Cup happening. That's not going to be until the winter time. So, I mean, I like baseball to put on and kind of have it on a side TV on mute, but I'm not necessarily yeah. programming my night in the summer based on baseball, but I do program my nights based on Eastern Conference Finals for basketball, Western Conference Finals, NBA Finals, and then, of course, for the Cup, Cup Finals, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, every game. Yeah. You know, if there's a screen, it's all on. So uh, I'm completely fine with it and always happy to, to watch any playoffs. I enjoy watching, especially as you said, there's not that much else happening currently in sports. Well, to a point. Yeah. I mean, th there's always, there's always the random summer events to kind of keep us going, but this is usually the dark days have started by now. It's just good to delay that. Uh, I want to start with hockey. We're going to get to a couple different sports. Uh, and you mentioned the Stanley cup final. They can't start. Uh, they're not going to start them till at the earliest a week from tomorrow a week from thursday so the colorado avalanche are going to have some time off it could actually be delayed even to that saturday so a lot of time off for them after they sweep the oilers uh there's really no other way to put it they're an absolute juggernaut right now and i know the east looks like a battle which we'll get into and tampa's the two-time defending cup champs but colorado has lived up to the expectations maybe the smartest thing they did was let florida get the president's trophy but other than that i mean they are the deepest strongest team and i think anything could happen in a series camp but they've proven it through the western conference playoffs yeah and that time off you can get healthy i mean you have kemper you know it, it never hurts to get mm -hmm. your goalie healthy and on top of it they can score three or four goals in any period <laughs> and they're that type of team you you put them on a power play you're just praying that they don't score in those two minutes. And you look at it, the Oilers, I don't even think the Oilers played particularly bad in that series, but yet they got swept. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's you look at the way that they knocked St. Louis out right at the end. They just you know ripped their throat out scoring with, what, two seconds yeah. left in that game to end it and move on to the Western Conference Finals. They're impressive. And now, of course, if it is Tampa, you have – 
a team that's won the last two cups against a team who on paper probably is the perceived favorite in Colorado, but you're right. They've done everything that's been asked of them. And, you know, it was good to see Edmonton and Colorado get to that next step, win some playoff series, make their way to the Western conference finals. And we got to see the star power the, this last four to six weeks where you saw McDavid and you saw Dreisaitl, you're seeing McKinnon, you're seeing all these superstars perform at their highest level. Even in the Eastern Conference, the New York Rangers are a good example of that. A lot of star power, a lot of players that haven't been to this level, Mm -hmm. but now you're starting to see the NHL. It's not just Ovechkin versus Crosby. Winner probably makes their way to the cup finals like it was for six or seven years. You're seeing a lot of the teams that haven't quite got over that hump are now getting there, and then there is the juggernaut that's the Tampa Bay Lightning that are two wins away from getting back to the Cup Finals, potentially. So uh, it is interesting, but yeah, Colorado's answered the bell every step of the way, and they do look to be the part so far. And I think the days off probably will be a little rusty in Game 1, just because that's just the nature of things if you're off for 10 Mm -hmm. or 12 days. But overall, again, they might be down Mm -hmm. 1-0 13 minutes into the first period, and then those last seven minutes, they might score three goals. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other injury factor, too, we don't know with Kadri if he's even going to be back. The days right. off might help him. He might be done for the playoffs. I haven't really said. I, I do think, though, that, like, one of the things you touched on, I, I completely agree with. It's good to kind of introduce the new blood to the masses. Connor McDavid, obviously, everyone knows how I and a lot of people think of, you know, revere his game. It was the first time that we kind of got to see him in this moment. But these Colorado players, like I think Nathan McKinnon is probably the second best player in the league in terms of forwards behind McDavid. It was good to see him show up and have a lot of goals. And And I can't I can't say enough about Kale McCarr. Five points in that clinching game. He is very reminiscent to those, you got to do the throwbacks, the Paul Coffey type players that when you're out there on the ice with them, it's like having another forward. And you start to look. It's funny. I do feel like hockey, like a lot of sports, Kent, you don't know until a team actually wins it if they're capable. Like we can say, oh, they look like they have it. You just kind of look at tendencies. And we know that the skill is there. But what I've seen from Colorado that makes me think this is maybe potentially probably their year is they've got the grinder type players. They've got JT Comper, who is a Buffalo player. They added Darren Helm, who scored that goal you mentioned against the Blues. He's a Red Wing Stanley Cup champion veteran. So they've built a roster Credit to Joe Sackick for doing it. And I think, like you said, they can score three goals in any minute. They were down big in game four. They answered the bell in game three, losing one of their players and having all these issues. And I think they're built, they've, they've went through their adversity period that I think a lot of teams, you know, have to get through to win a cup. So I don't even, and, and, and just to kind of put a bow on Edmonton, Kent, I don't think that they were, you know, playing terrible. I think they've got to make some roster adjustments to get to that next level. This was the conference final. So they got to the final four. But I think roster-wise, they were outmatched. Well, as you said, too, when when you look at Colorado, situationally, when they needed to get a goal and it looked kind of like, are they going to lose this game? They always were able to get that goal. And then you mentioned grinding things out. Yes, it's fun to say they can win the 6-5 or 7-4 mm-hmm. games, but it's when it's 2-1 or 2-2 two two in the third period. Mm-hmm. Are you able to find that way to get that last goal and pull it out. And they do have those type of players. As for Edmonton, you're right. They have to try that next step. And they have to figure out what's what's their team going to look like going forward. But I'm just glad to see that they were able yeah. to win a couple series. And even the Flame series. I mean, you and I were saying early in that series, 
it looked like the Flames might run them off yeah. and it might be a five-game series. And all of a sudden, from that point, Edmonton outplayed them the last few games and won that series. Yeah. So I think overall, very good year for what the Oilers did. Mm-hmm. Yes, their goal is not to just get one step away from the cup final. Their goal is to get there and win it. But I like where they're at least headed. But yeah. you're right. In terms of them winning the cup, that's not the roster they currently no. have. And they're going to have to improve. And it starts with goaltending. It starts with defense. Yeah. And that's just where they're just way behind. They need back-end help big. But, hey, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Dreisaitl, who's banged up. I mean, the injury report hasn't come out. But he's probably going to, I would guess, have surgery on his ankle leg area. But they finished with 33 and 32 points, respectively, in 16 games. So two points a game for their studs. They showed up. If they retool the roster, Edmonton's got to be feeling pretty solid after this year. They know that there's more There's more to attain. There's another level up to go. Uh, on the East they were tested yeah. as well. Yeah. Like that game seven against the Kings. Oh, that game wasn't six, something- going on the road into L.A. And, and having to win to stay alive. And if they lose yep. that series, it's maybe blow this thing up. So they you know, they push through there at least. Yeah, yeah you, they nearly pulled a, a Maple Leafs in that series, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of the way yeah. you have to look at the I Maple know. Leafs now. But yes, but as you said, they found a way, they got through it. So they were battle tested. I mean, two series in a row where they were tested all the way until the end. And then Colorado just kind of did what the Avalanche do. And, you know, they're going to overpower you and that so be it. But overall, I do think right now the Western Conference, whenever you look into the future, the next four to five years, I would say the Edmonton Oilers are right there in that top three to four teams going forward where two, three years ago, maybe even as much as last year, you probably wouldn't have said that. Man, Maple Leafs, I like piling on them, but we'll see how this East uh, finishes up, Kent, but you could maybe make the argument they were the second best team in the Eastern Conference playoffs. <laughs> like it just That was just a brutal draw for them. Uh, th- that said, I had a feeling when it was 2-0 down that, there, that the reports of the Lightning demise were greatly exaggerated, and uh, we're even now 2-2. Tampa has the momentum going back to New York. They win handily. They were down two to nothing in game three, and then they really flipped it around, scored a great goal late. The stars are showing up. I mean, that's the biggest thing to me. Vasilevsky locked in a net. Kucherov has been making plays. You know, they're guys that have done it before, the the role players even, Pat Maroon, Paquette, making big plays. And now you have this Ranger team, Kent, that was riding high up, seemingly on the way to a 3-0 series lead. It's 2-2 going back to the garden, but Tampa's ability shouldn't surprise many people that they were able to dig deep and, and give us a series in this one. Not at all. Now, if they would have lost game three, then the writing's probably on the wall. They're not coming back to win four straight. You wouldn't think, but yeah, down two Oh, they found a way to get through game three, win it. And that had to hurt the Rangers because the Rangers must've felt like, okay, we're, we're pretty close right now. But yeah, when they were down Oh two, you know, I bet the lightning on, you know, multiple series bets uh, early. Like after they lost game one, they became a slight dog. So I bought them. And then heading into the series, I had them at minus 180 to win it. And I never tried to hedge it. I wasn't overly concerned. And then once they won game three, I felt very good about their chances to win game four and even things out. And now, I mean, again, the pressure's still on the Lightning because they are the team that's expected to be here. They're the team that has won two straight Eastern Conference championships and also two straight Stanley Cups. But on the other hand, the Rangers, part of them has to feel like, man, we really had this thing. And it was almost 3-0. 
series pretty much over, and now we gave them life. And you just can't give, as you said, a team that's loaded with, with these type of stars and future Hall of Famers. And that's what the Tampa Bay Lightning do. But now it's a best of three. And if you look at it, it's 2-2. Two, two. You have the Lightning with two straight wins. They have to be feeling pretty good. And as you said, they kind of got Vasilevsky. You know, early on, he struggled a bit. You know, I kind of early in this playoffs, we were talking about like the Russian goalie and who's the superstar you have. You know, one guy is going to win the Vesna, and then the other guy is the two-time cup winner. And there was this whole hesitancy. And now you look at it, and it's like, well, Shesterkin's playing well, but Vasilevsky these last couple games has been every bit as good, if not better. And now there becomes that element of in these last three games, who is that goalie you want? And I think at least I know who I want, and he's the he's <laughs> the one on the Tampa Bay Lightning. But for the Rangers, they still have a lot of firepower. They're back at home game five, and if they win it, then all of a sudden they just need to win one of two. Now, the Rangers, it's funny because their first two series, they never led in any of those series until they won game seven. So it's been a different kind of series for them that they were able to actually get a game one, get ahead of the sticks, so to speak, if on, on a football term. But we'll see what happens. I think whoever wins game five, I feel like is probably going to win the series. I would say if the Lightning win game five, it's curtains. I think that they could go back and win a game six because of the back-to-back factor, how they're just, they just are built with that resolve. And then if they win game five, they've had three straight. I think we all would take Vasilevsky. I don't want to be unfair to Shosturkin. I think he's played well in this series. I don't think he's why they lost the last two games. The Rangers got sloppy. They took penalties. They haven't really been in control in the lightning zone and Tampa just knows how to grind. It's what they do. The last game, I mean, really the last game and a half when they were down, they started to grind it out. They started to kind of give up some of the super finesse plays that they rely on and they just cut down on mistakes. It was like, you know, it was like a basketball team in a sense that just says we're going to play simple into the basics and we're not going to try to do anything that'll make ourselves vulnerable. And that's what this lightning team is built for. I think the Rangers still have a lot of talent and they still have some heavy hitters that are performing well in Zabanajet Jet and Kreider, but they're going to have to get back to playing simple but also physical hockey. I think that they're giving they're leaving themselves vulnerable a lot in some of the transition game as well. But this is this is a fascinating series because the Lightning are not aren't what they were the last couple of years. This is like the the heavyweight champ on its last legs. They're definitely banged up. They've got a lot of miles from all the playoff hockey they've played. But you got to just think that if they're in a close game, they're going to be the favorite in the team you trust the most. So I'm excited to see how this series shapes out. I think uh, seven could be very likely, but it's going to take a Rangers win. So we'll see there. The, the last thing I had for you, though, Ken, on this was, have you learned to hate the Rangers as a Pens, as a Pens fan after that first round? Because that was, that was something, hearing it from both sides in my neutral perspective. No, I don't hate the ring. I mean, in terms of like the teams I hate, you know, I granted they haven't been very good in a while, but the Devils certainly were a team growing up that just always had the Penguins number. And I didn't like Brodeur and the Devils and their sort of style. The Flyers are going to be number one for the for the remainder of my life in yeah. terms of a Penguins fan. I've never liked the Red Wings either. Look, the Rangers, I don't like them. I'm not rooting for them per se, but I also don't like if you're going to give me a list of top two or three teams I hate in hockey, the Rangers don't make that cut. And I think a lot of it is I love going to Madison Square Garden, seeing a game there. It is an electric place to watch games. And I, you know, when you when you see the highlights and the fans go crazy for a big goal and MSG, 
it's hard not to appreciate that. But the Penguins series was disappointing. The Penguins had chances. Mm-hmm. You know, game five up to they lose. Game six up to they lose. Game seven they're up with four minutes left or six minutes left and they lose. So it's like they had opportunities. I know Crosby got hurt. I understand there were some key injuries that went on. The goaltending, of course, having to go with <laughs> Louis Domingue was not optimal. No. But, you know, that that's not one I look back at and say, like, that makes me hate the Rangers by any means. Uh, on the other hand, I do want to ask you, who do you think matches up? Like, if right now, would you say the Avalanche would be expected to be the favorite against whoever makes it out of the East, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think that the Lightning... I think that the Lightning, obviously, people are going to stay defending champs, and they can do things that will frustrate Colorado, and Colorado will have this expectation, like if it's not now, never. But Colorado's the favorite against both these teams. I think I think slightly more against the Rangers. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that sounds right. Uh, nobody would be shocked, clearly, if Tampa gets in and wins a third. But at the same point, this Colorado team's been playing too well uh, not to consider them the favorite. And then the Rangers would be... Uh, not a sizable dog per se, but it would be way more of a dog than if Tampa makes it through. Who do you got winning? I think Colorado. I, I, I'd go with I mean, the Avalanche I, yeah, I guess as well. the, the East, though, I'm mean, the question. Who do you have winning the oh, East? Tampa, Tampa. Tampa. I think Tampa yeah. finds a way to win game five and then close it out in game six. That's my guess. Right. Pat Maroon going for four straight cups. Crazy. I know. Uh, Camp Brown here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, I want to switch gears here, and uh, you know what sport I want to talk to now is golf because this live tour stuff is very fascinating. You're one of the people that follows golf as much as anyone I know, and I'm, I'll admit I've just been kind of monitoring it from the outside. I don't know all the ins and outs and everything, but we had the dominoes drop, you know, the Phil Mickelson scandal, this tour. It was presented on the outside months ago even that this wasn't going to be a very popular option for players. Well, the Dustin Johnson, Dustin Johnson domino drops. He enters an event. He ends up resigning from the PGA Tour. They're going to let him play, I would assume, all the majors, definitely the U.S. Open, and, and that's what we know is on, on up next. Then today we have more news. Fowler, DeChambeau, uh, Patrick Reed were the names I saw also going to join the Live Tour. It seems like it's getting messier and messier. And Ken, I want to just kind of hear your perspective on what's happening. There's, To me, it seems like there's two sides of it. There is the media and and the casual fan and the people that aren't day-to-day saying, how could you go work for something funded by Saudi Arabian money? There's the golf practical side, though, where I'm hearing players inside and outside of the game say, we understand why you would do this for the money and also the freedom to earn and be productive in that regard so just wanted to hear your perspective on what's happening why you think it's happening and ultimately if it's going to be you know a a reckoning so to speak with golf and the pga yeah it seems to be more viable than i would have thought two months ago or three months ago uh this has been floated out the last two years or so of greg norman wanting to build this league up and that there was Saudi money that was going to back it. And then you heard Phil was one of, probably going to be the face of this. And of course he had his whole statements a few months ago about Saudi Arabian government. And, you know, we've also as wrestling fans, we've experienced this a little bit with Vince McMahon taking their money to go overseas and get hundreds of millions of dollars to put on a couple shows in Saudi Arabia a year. I don't think you can blame the players to me, it's kind of the same thing in like the NBA where they have a deal with China. We know there's human rights violations all over China. 
I'm not blaming the NBA players Mm -hmm. for being like our league is associated with that nation. The same way I'm not going to blame these golfers for saying I'm going to play in this league. Look, they're not being paired up with the Saudi royal family on the course (laughs) and walking around with these guys. Half the events are in the United States. You know, you have an event in Miami, another event up in Oregon, uh, another one in Jersey. So Chicago. So this is not like everything's in Saudi Arabia. But on the other hand, the one thing about the PGA Tour that's very interesting is they are independent contractors. Now, if you work long enough on the tour and you make enough money on the tour, you get a good pension plan, you get a good retirement, that stuff all gets factored in. But they're not day-to-day employees, meaning like Dustin Johnson, as good as he is, his sponsors are what allow him basically to never lose money going to a tour event. But then there's plenty of guys like Taylor Gooch is a name that came up this week and he jumped at the, uh, at the Saudi tour. And, you know, he's not, he's not the type of guy who makes so much off his sponsors that if he misses 10 straight cuts, he's still going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. on the PGA tour, if you miss a cut, you lose money in terms of just actual golf because you have to pay for your travel you have to pay for your housing. You have to pay for your caddy. Like the tour doesn't pay for that stuff. Right. Now, if you're TaylorMade or Nike or Adidas or one of the top sponsors, you're going to be okay because you make enough. But this tour is pretty much saying you, you play 54 holes, which is why it's LIV. That's Roman numeral 54. You don't play 72 holes. So already, that's one extra day that you don't have to be out there performing. Yeah. On the other hand, it's a guaranteed purse for every player involved, and it's more money than the PGA Tour. You know, outside of like a couple events, the worst event of this Live Tour is going to be more money than right. any PGA event in terms of overall purse. And there's only 48 people in it, so you do the math. The 48th guy is still going to make a pretty good chunk of money. Uh, what I'm most concerned about on the PGA Tour level is just. If this expands, if this goes from eight events to 20 events, now it's going to be so much money that these guys are going to make that how many more PGA Tour professionals are going to leave to jump at this? Because right now, the PGA Tour is still the better option, in my opinion, because there's 20 to 30 events a year. You're safe if you're one of the best 100 golfers. You know, a guy like Justin Thomas, I, I would stay on tour if I was him as well. But it's when you're the 40th ranked golfer and if the, the live tour comes to you and says, you can make a guaranteed purse and now we're going double the event, so 16 events next year, it's going to be hard to convince your family and your caddy and your financial advisor and everyone else to not jump at that opportunity. Uh, I'm not saying any anybody's right or wrong by doing this. I think Phil Mickelson was smart to take the money because he's in his 50s now. Let's be real. He's not going to be able to compete on the PGA Tour week in and week out right. at his age going forward. But he's getting, what, $200-plus million is what's reported well, to do this. Yeah. Like, that seems like kind of a no-brainer. I, I think that I, I have a couple thoughts on this. And, again, what you mentioned about conflicts of interest and, and you know, other leagues being in bed with, with you can call it blood money, you can call it just – people that we might not agree with on different levels. I understand that. I'm never going to judge a, a person, anybody, who wants to do what's best for their family and, and support. And, and I think that you know these golfers have the right to do this. I think the PGA thing, it's fascinating to me, 
and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard a lot of this. I mean, a lot of this opening, this opening that the live golf tour had was because there were real frustrations with the PGA, with prize money, with owning the rights, the licensing rights. I know the video game side of it too. And they just raised prize money at certain events. I think Memorial, uh, Jack Nicholas's event that they could have done in the past. It's been argued they could have done this a long time ago. Now they're just trying to make the players feel more appreciated and more right. I think that Here's what I'll say. I don't think this would be like a, a, as huge of a controversial issue if it wasn't if the money came from like anywhere else. I think because it's Saudi Arabia, it's going to have that stigma. But I, I just hearing golfers that are staying with the PGA say, "Look, we understand why players might make this decision." Makes me think that there is kind of some deep seated. The PGA has always had the stranglehold. It's been a monopoly, and competition. I mean, is not this isn't a new thing, Kent. We've seen it with the AFL over the years. We've seen the World Hockey League. Now keeping that rival league and in business when you're number two is going to be a hard challenge. But I think that, you know, competition isn't new to the sports realm. That's very true. And on top of it too, the weird thing about the PGA tour to me, and you know, I've texted with a bunch of friends about this is I don't know why the PGA tour at this moment is being so steadfast on if you leave, you have to resign. Like the way Kevin Na formally resigned and Dustin Johnson formally resigned. Phil Mickelson, I don't think, has gone that far yet. A couple other people haven't officially resigned. But because they're independent contractors, to me it's like, and and, and this is what you said, they've had that stranglehold where, where else are you going to go? But going forward, I feel like if you are on the PGA Tour, come up with some sort of way to treat everybody almost the way they do with every other major sport in America of unionization being part of the tour Mm -hmm. because if not I don't really know why the PGA tour has the rights to tell Kevin Na for instance you can't play on our tour if you go and play on this tour because again he's a contractor who shows up to these events yeah pays his rights to be there and if he wins, he wins. Cool. Just, but if he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't. That's the weird thing about this is, and I do think that ultimately what this will do pretty definitively is, worst case, it will strengthen the relationship between tour professionals and the PGA Tour going mm-hmm. forward. Because you're going to see, let's just say for argument's sake, 20 of the top 25 golfers stay. I mean, they've already lost two with the Shambo. And with uh, with Dustin Johnson, and then Patrick Reed's like a fringe, you know, at no. times could be in that top twenty five. Yeah, I don't think they so, can keep players out of majors though now because there's so many of them that that like they're not gonna. Uh, you ban these guys from the field, like you're really gonna weaken it now. Like it's not just one or two guys, my opinion. Yeah, but I do think the tour will find a way to come up with better solutions, whether it's bigger purses, whether it's as you said. Uh, a more friendly way to allow players and maybe it's team events. It's something that changes things up, you know, cause in this live tour they're doing, not only is there individual purses each week, there's also team events where it's like four guys on a team and then whoever wins that gets part of the purse. And then there's an overall, yeah. that type of stuff can all be done on the PGA tour. And they just, Let's be real. For the most part, they run it the old-fashioned way that they ran it mm-hmm. in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s. And now the money's gone better, but the way they run the tour is not very different. Yeah. And that will be – and then the majors becomes an interesting thing because – and if you look at the majors, they're PGA Tour affiliated, 
but they're not necessarily all like the USGA runs the US Open. Yeah. The PGA Championship, though, like if Kevin Na and Dustin Johnson resigned from the PGA Tour, I would guess that means they can't play in the PGA, but then you have DJ's exempt because he's already won it Mm -hmm. or he's already won major. So I don't quite know how they're going to factor all of that in. Look, I hope going forward there can be some sort of relationship where, as you said, majors, everyone's in it. Maybe certain other events, there could be some sort of leeway. And for this live tour, I hope it succeeds because ultimately – I, I, I'm with you. C- competition's great. Uh, if there can be something where there's a secondary tour, where there's prize money that is pretty exceptional for every player in the field, that's great. And you know what the interesting thing about it was? And this is where the Live Tour is being smart. They went and got a few of the top college they did. golfers. So they went and got, like, if you look at young golfers, they went and got a few of those guys linked up and it's a risk because those guys right now are not ready necessarily to be superstars. Mm. But what if two or three years from now, those guys are the next eras, you know, John Rom, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Scotty Scheffler, all of a sudden now the lift tour exclusively has those guys. And I'll tell you right now for golf fans, we love the names of from the past. But golf fans love following those young, successful, really good golfers. And if all of a sudden three or four of them are on the live tour and the only way you can see them is if you go to the event live or go to their YouTube channel or whatever TV partner they agree with, that's going to become a big deal because Phil Mickelson, he's a great draw in theory. But again, he's 51 years old. So even Dustin Johnson's now 37 years old. He's not quite what he was a decade ago. But, you know, you have like, Piot from from Michigan State, who was you know in the U.S. Amateur. There's another guy, I believe his name is Puig, that's kind of involved. Th- these younger guys that are like fresh out of college, it's smart for them maybe because they're getting guaranteed money. But all of a sudden, if they blow up, they're the face of this tour now for 20 years, and that could become a viable option for a lot of younger players if they see those guys do well. Why go to the PGA Tour where you might not get a guaranteed? win for the first two months of your career go play in this tour and you'll be a millionaire in two months it's going to be fascinating more to more to come i'm sure we'll have to stay tuned uh kent brown on the money mitch effect this has been a pleasure before i let you go a couple quick hitting things one being do you have a quick nba finals prediction for how this pans out now at one one yeah i think it's warriors and seven that's what i'm thinking i felt all along it probably will be but uh the way that they responded in game two was pretty impressive. You know, I would like to think that the next two games are probably a split and then it's kind of how it is in the Stanley Cup right now, or at least in the Eastern Conference, where it's a best of three going forward. So yeah, I'll go Warriors in seven in that one. I think it could be six, but I want to see how Boston comes out in game three. I, I just feel like there's they're so up and down. Like Boston could win the finals. It wouldn't surprise me, but I feel like their lack of consistency for a full 48 minutes is giving me pause here but i guess we'll have to see um do you have any thoughts on aaron donald's contract that's pretty big money to say the least for a d tackle yeah i think it's great i feel like he's earned it and you know aaron donald is a guy that is as good a defensive player and as great a d lineman as i've ever seen in the nfl and i understand it's a quarterback driven league and that's where the contracts are always going to be highest but if anybody's earned 
the major contract. It's not a quarterback. It is him. Yeah. And for the Rams, I don't quite know how the Rams keep pulling off all these major contracts to so many players, <laughs> but whatever <laughs> the deal is, you know, it, as a sports fan, I've always been a fan of the sport. I've never really thrown myself into understanding exactly every team's salary cap issue and how that works just because to me, it's just not something I'm overly interested in. You know, if the Rams can work it out where they can have Ramsey and Stafford and Aaron Donald and Von Miller and all these guys on big contracts, good for them. And clearly it worked out last year. So yeah, I'm very happy for Aaron Donald uh, in that regard. You know, he's a guy who's, you know, he's not, not only a local guy, from Pittsburgh, but he's from not far from where I grew up. And, you know, I played a lot of youth sports in Penn Hills, which is where Aaron Donald went to high school. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's cool to see that it's cool to see, you know, a local kid, uh, who was not, you know, he was not a five-star athlete coming out of high school by any means to be this good and this dominant throughout his career. And now he's a Super Bowl champion to boot. I'm very happy for him, and I think the Rams were very smart to invest money in him. And also, it looks like it's the type of contract that within a year or two, he could probably be out of it and move on if he wanted to anyway. So it's not something that's like locked in for seven or eight years. It's kind of like Aaron Donald's going to play probably two more years, and then we'll see if he plays after that. Or There's also a lot of rumors that he, you know, he spends most of his offseason back in Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, uh, maybe he goes to oh, one no. of those AFC North teams or finishes <laughs> out his career back out east. So uh, we'll have to see. But, yeah, I think it's a great deal for him and for the Rams. You want to keep 99 around as long as you're able to. One of the all-time greats. I mean, the money's there. I don't know how the Rams are coming up with it, but props to them for figuring it out. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to just kind of go over with you, we talked before we went on. French Open just went went final, and Rafael Nadal wins his 14th at at RG. 22 ever it's a remarkable number 22 majors on that court kent he's 112 and three that's his career record and uh, he'll be the favorite until he's thoroughly dismantled so if he plays again keeps going he's going to continue to be the favor favorite and uh, it's just it's an unprecedented time to be a tennis fan because we're seeing something we're never going to see again and what is okay being again you follow tennis extremely closely clearly i'm more of an outsider uh in terms of all the sports we talk about tennis is probably the one i least watch but the whole aspect of winning on clay seemingly has been a challenge for some of the best ever you know when you look at federer and sampras and you know those type of guys that's been their hindrances like they can't get it done at roland garros and then you have nadal who seemingly gets it done everywhere he has multiple majors at you know, all four venues and you said 14 now on clay, which is crazy. Uh, What about that in particular makes it so difficult for for so many? And why is he so good at it? Well, I mean, he's an insane player, obviously the talent and, and, you know, he would succeed everywhere. But what what happens with clay is the ball does bounce higher. He's got that whippy, the spin that he puts on the ball, plus the ability that the ball bounces higher, plus the ability that he's just an exceptional athlete kind of pushes it over the top. Because he can get to everything, he can change the angles, change the geometry of it, and you can't finish a point against him. So I think that's pretty the main thing. He's got that lefty forehand and the way he hits it with with the angle that he hits it on, it's pretty tough to stop. But the fact that it's hard to put him away in a point because with, let's say you're serving against him on a hard court or grass where you can hit a big serve, finish the point, the ball's going to bounce lower, he's able to get to that, extend it, and then make it, you know, 
make the next shot. But, I mean, he's incredible. And, and to answer another question you had, I mean, he is, right now, the way it stands, he's the greatest of all time. Clear. That would be is the... Federer if, two? Is Federer two? I mean, he's, Federer's probably three right now, I think. But, like, here's the thing. If it ended today, he's the greatest of all time. But, and I would still argue this, Djokovic is going to be lasting longer than Nadal, so that's why the debate's not done. Djokovic is going to have more earning power, I think, more chances to win down the road. I don't think... Nadal has a foot issue. He said he played the final with his foot basically asleep. I think Djokovic will be playing a couple years on tour longer. So we'll see what happens. But right now, yes, Nadal is the greatest ever. But we really can't put, we can't close the book until they're all done playing, is my answer. And what's your F Mary kill with the three if you had to do it? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm not going to kill. Uh, I think I'm going to. I think I'm. I think I'm going to. And hypothetically, I don't want to kill any of these people. You know, I know we talked about the live tour, but I'm. Uh, I'm Djokovic is the kill, and I'll have to figure out the other two. The F and the M are still up for yeah, grabs. Yeah, up for grabs. Uh, Kent Brown, <laughs> pleasure as always talking to you. I knew a torn pec wasn't going to keep you out of it. You've torn other muscles and been fine. So, you know. how about that in the world of pro wrestling this week? You got. Uh, the face of AEW who just wins the title. He gets hurt last Wednesday mm-hmm. and is out and CM Punk. And then Cody now with uh, Roman Reigns taking a little time off yeah. has become the face of WWE. And he <laughs> tears his pack and still fights in a hell in a cell. So right now in pro wrestling, you know, if this yeah. was the, uh, the McMahon that we knew in the past, all of a sudden, you know, you go get the veterans back as soon as possible. But uh, yeah. I don't know where both, I don't know where both federations go. It's an interesting, yeah. it was an interesting week. And I, I saw, uh, a funny headline that said, like, you know, CM Punk couldn't have been happy that his injury news got overshadowed by Cody's no. injury news. No, and it's funny. I was my last question for you is if you have you ever in any setting called your boss an F and Mark? Uh, there was one time. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I Matt forgot. Mark. Yeah, there was that one. <laughs> that was that one time. Uh, well, Matt Mark Brady. No, I'm kidding. I, yeah. I love Mark Brady. <laughs> yeah, MJF killing it too. Uh, all right, Kent Brown, pleasure as always, man. We'll do this again soon. We'll see how right or wrong we were with our predictions, but thanks for coming on the show. Have a good one. Kent Brown on the Money Mitch Effect. If you like it, you can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It pops right up. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. Follow Kent Brown on Twitter, Kent Brown Pod, and follow me at Money Mitch M21. We'll be back uh, soon. For Kent Brown, I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for listening, and keep enjoying sports.